0: Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. may be seated. And well, we're a very warm welcome to you today to St. George's Church, all of you, and uh, it is great to have you here. I uh, found myself, as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, distracted constantly. I was kind of glued to the screen and what was going on, and, uh, because we have a lot of relationships over there in the Middle East. And, so, and, uh, and then as I began to study, I looked at the prophet Isaiah and uh, remembered that he lived during a time that was, in many ways like our own. Uh, It was filled with a great deal of terror and unrest brought on by the fall and rise of empires. You had the Assyrians sack Israel, the northern kingdom, and 10 of the 12 tribes gone like that. Then later, Assyria would fall to Babylon, and Babylon would sack Judah and destroy Judah and destroy the temple, the first temple of Solomon. And then the, uh, the Babylonians would eventually fall to the Persians, and in the midst of it all, the Persians would eventually send the Jews back to their land. And in the season of war and rumors of war, it's a period of history defined by destruction and death. And I don't say this flippantly, but what, and I don't say this casually, but what I do want to say is that this is nothing new to the human experience. This is nothing new to humanity. Bad news. Although it can feel like that, in a way, And in moments like this, it's easy to rank our problems, isn't it? You think about your own problem. Maybe for you, you're having a problem with a relationship. Maybe for you, it's with finances. Maybe for you, it's a job or where you're living. And you tend to rank your problems in moments like this. Well, at least I don't live in Gaza. At least I don't live in southern Israel. Let's not forget, at least I don't live in the Donbass in eastern Ukraine. At least I don't live in Azerbaijan. At least I don't live on the southern border. And we forget that God is in control. And we forget that God actually cares and loves you. And this is my first point. It's important to remember that God never ranks sin, nor does he rank our problems. And so this is a pastoral word to all of you sitting in the church today. Your problems, your struggles, your pains, they matter to God. And you can go to him with anything. And as the prophet Isaiah saw in the Old Testament reading, you can go to him and there you will find refuge. And you will find shelter in your need. Never forget, many are called, but few are chosen. And you have been chosen by God in Christ. So the question then becomes, this becomes the pressing question in moments like this, How can you be certain that you have been chosen by God in the midst of all of the struggles and problems of life? Well, Jesus illustrates this beautifully and powerfully in our gospel reading today in the parable known as the two types of wedding guests. Jesus gives this illustration of a king who invites people to his son's wedding banquet. When you tie this into the prophet's and the rest of the New Testament, you begin to realize that this is a parable about the very end of the age. A great wedding banquet. And so the king illustrates God. And he's been issuing invitations throughout time. He's been sending his slaves, the prophets, with the message, everyone. This is the message, everyone. The stakes are on. The prime rib is smoking and the wine has been poured. The feast is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Clearly, men planned this wedding reception because there's not a salad or a vegetarian option anywhere. (laughs) But nonetheless, the invitation is valid and even vegans are invited because all in the Bible means all. However, Jesus tells us those initially invited, they paid no attention, did they? Some of them went back to work, Some even made light of the invitation. (laughs) And then while others, and this baffles me, they killed and attacked the messengers. It's important to note, take a look, it's important to note that there are no obstacles at all put up by the king to come to this wedding banquet. So often in the midst of our struggles and our trials, we think that God is putting obstacles up. Our culture has taught us to think of God as a giant sky fairy who is put like fences around heaven, especially during times of struggle. Yet this king, you read, invites the guests. He was totally expecting them. He had prepared the banquet for them. And you would think that the combination of an invitation and a personal reminder, not to mention lots of free food and drink. I mean, Isaiah sees marrow. Count me in, gout be damned. You know, I'm I'm there. Am I the only one? But anyway, uh, you know, this is serious. You'd think that they'd come running to this feast. But you'd be wrong. God's grace... for the whole world and yet the whole world is filled with people who won't believe a good thing when they hear it or receive a wonderful gift when freely given and this wonderful gift that is offered is grace it's dying love and unqualified forgiveness and acceptance in Jesus Christ this is your ticket to the banquet. No thanks. No thanks, God. I'll do it the old-fashioned way. I'm going to earn it. And this is my second point. Well, actually, before that, let me tell you what Robert Farrah the great Episcopal theologian says about this. He says the reason why it's so violent in this particular part, the king goes and... Never forget, you know, J- Jesus may be your homeboy and buddy, but he is also a Near Eastern first century and king, you know? And let's put that into perspective. But the, the problem here is that the indifferent guests who were killed are those who live in two false certainties, Capon says. He says they live in the false certainty that our good works will earn the right to attend the supper of the Lamb and the second false certainty is that God's good nature will absolve us from having to sit through it if we happen to have other plans. I mean, that's profound. And This is my second point. Salvation is not by works and yet this parable conveys the heavenly banquet is not an option either. We are saved only by our acceptance of a party already in progress. And God has paid for that party at the price of his own death. Hence, it's not cheap, but it's totally free. Now hear me, I'm not saying this is a choice. Because your option is either life or death. Outside this party, there's no life at all. Hence the invitation, and as it comes to you today, is an invitation to the joy of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, Paul says. It's an invitation to a first century Middle Eastern wedding banquet. And you have never been to anything that cool. I mean, let me tell you, those wedding banquets would go on for days, sometimes weeks. Remember Jesus? They ran out of wine. And this is set for eternity. Our God is ready to throw a party for eternity and you are invited. You have been chosen. And at this party, the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord God will wipe away all of your tears from all of your faces and the disgrace of his people. He will take that away from all the earth. This is a party of redemption. This is a party of restoration. This is why it's called the good news of the gospel. Because you're invited, you've been chosen, and it's all free. So Jesus then continues the parable. And notice, if I was in charge, I would have packed up shop. I'd been like, this barbecue's done. But our king doesn't do that. He says, the feast is ready. The only thing missing are guests. And so the king once again sends out his servants, the prophets, now preachers. And Jesus tells the king, invite everyone. Notice, invite everyone, the good and the bad. Come to the wedding banquet. So the parable continues, and the wedding hall is full. And the crowd in this parable now represents the church a gathering of all sorts of people. you got Jews and Gentiles, sinners of every stripe. No one is left out of this party. There's no barriers to it. And the guests are eating and drinking and having a great time. And believe me, I know church people, they love a free meal. So they're there, you know what I mean? Look at our budget. But anyway, it's it's funny. And they're having a great time. When all of a sudden, the king notices a man not wearing the wedding suit. Now here's a historical fun fact to help you understand what's going on as we come to the crescendo of this parable. In those days, if you were invited to a royal wedding, or a wedding of any sort of nobility, you wore the outfit that the host, you wore the outfit that the king gave you. You were given the clothes. No one was there expressing themselves in their individual identity. If you wore your own outfit, let me tell you, this was tantamount to showing up to one of Puff Daddy's white parties with red shoes and a belt on. Not like I've ever been invited, but I did read about it in the New York Post back in 2009, and that happened. And let me tell you, that person was cast out into outer darkness, where there was no Siroc vodka served at all. And so, there it is and the king approaches him and says, hey man. The real translation is, hey buster, it's not friend. It's hey buddy. How'd you get in here with those red shoes and that belt? Now the translation we have is the man is speechless, as if he's kind of caught with some nibblers and his mouth full and he's like, ah. But that's not the case. What's actually going on is that the man is indignant. He's silent. Or in other words, he refuses to acknowledge the king's presence, much less talk to him. The guest, here's the point, insists on being at the feast on his own terms. Not a good idea because it's impossible. And while the setting of this wedding context, the wedding takes place in a completely different cultural context, here's where the wedding garments speak to all of us in our moment here as 21st century New Yorkers and Americans. And Westerners. I would say this. I would argue that the wedding garments speak directly to us in this cultural moment we find ourselves in. I heard the eminent theologian about a month ago, Stanley Hauerwas in Dallas, say, we have taught people to think that they have no story, but the story they chose, and we call it liberty. Yet it is ultimately cruel. And it's true. You think about our society today, there is a great fear in our society of putting our identity into the hands of someone else especially the hands of a wounded, merciful Savior who loves you to the end. It must be me who determines who and what I am. And this, my friends, is a primal deception of self-definition. And it has done nothing but create sorrow, addiction, and pain in our culture. You think about it, we live in a society where you define whatever you are, and you are supposedly more free than you've ever been, and yet, many here in the world are heavily medicated. There's more depression than ever, more suicides than ever, and that's because as a culture, we are caught in this loop of self-definition. And in many ways, if you look out on it, it is nothing more than outer darkness and the weeping of gnashing and teeth. And you have to be completely closed-minded not to see the connection between these two things. So how can you be certain that you have been chosen by God in the midst of your real struggles and problems? You can be certain that God has chosen you because he has clothed you in the righteousness of Jesus. And you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and you have been marked as Christ's own forever because God has chosen to give it to you. Many are called and few are chosen. The called are all who have heard the good news of the gospel. Christ has died for you. Christ has risen for you. Christ will come again for you. Yet the chosen are those who by faith are clothed in the wedding garments of Christ's righteousness freely given at baptism. The chosen are you and I gathered around his altar as a foretaste of the marriage supper of the Lamb in his kingdom which will have no end. And this is my third point. How can you be certain that you have been chosen by God in the midst of all of your struggles and problems? because you have been baptized. Nobody said up to about 500 years ago that they were a Christian because they made a personal decision for Jesus. It was always they had been baptized. And you have been baptized, and there in water Christ has given you all his promises, and especially today we're going to give great thanks because Daniel is chosen. Daniel is chosen and he has been baptized, and we're reminded in that that God has chosen all of you as well and finally you know you were chosen because in a moment you're going to come up here and you're going to be nourished by the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood this is a big deal and that is a constant reminder that God is the protagonist in your relationship because his body has been broken for you and his blood has been shed for you So in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your pains, in the midst of your disappointments, be of good cheer, dear Christian. Because the choosing is all God's gracious gift to you. And you are invited. You are here. And you're clothed. And you've been chosen. The feast is ready. Simply come. In Jesus' name, simply come. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorge.org slash give. Thank you for your support.